Have you ever felt uh, the weight of a calling, of a sense that you were um, sort of meant to do something particular, that you were um, just maybe even that God had desired for you to do something? And because of that, the weight just felt really heavy. It felt like you just had to do something about it. Sorry, Preston, I'm dead here, so <laughs> I know that's a fun that's gonna make a fun sermon for you. But this weight, this like crushing feeling like I need to do something with my life. I need to be a particular person. I need to go in a particular direction. And sometimes these missions that we feel, these things that we feel called to be, these issues that we feel called to deal with, can just tire us out. They can wear us out. We can feel exhausted by them from time to time. Uh, that's certainly the story of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah, as a prophet, has this strong sense of calling. He has a sense that God is trying to use him to do a particular thing in the world. And for him, it starts with this vision. Uh, this is kind of weird for us. What does it mean to have a vision from God for your calling, right? But Jeremiah has this experience that he's just confident is God telling him to go do something. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through that a little to talk about this idea of what it feels like when you feel this pressure to do something you think God has called you to do. So uh, moving to Jeremiah 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah speaking, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth. And he said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So you can imagine Jeremiah gets this, and he's pumped right? He is ready to go out there and do, I mean, God's given him this big pep talk, right? I've appointed you and I want you to say stuff and I want you to take down the man, right? You know, like I want you to go out and be this person and you will be strong. You are a fortress. You are ironclad. Do not worry. And you can imagine Jeremiah out there like a young graduate, right? Just ready to conquer the world. Maybe sometimes, uh, I don't know how distant we feel from these people anymore, right? But someone's fresh out of college that has their degree in hand and they're going to go conquer things and they're ready to go and they're full of confidence. And like sometimes it's really easy as you get older to even be cynical and kind of snicker at that energy, right? This kind of youthful exuberance that we're going to fix things. Jeremiah has all of these hopes for what he's going to be able to do. At the time that Jeremiah lived, the, the northern kingdom of Israel had already been taken away in exile. And the southern kingdom had survived the Assyrian attack. 
But things were still not looking good. Babylon was growing as a world power, and they were starting to look around for people that they could gobble up and kingdoms they could take over. And Jeremiah has got to be thinking, based on what he preaches in his book, if we repent, if we get better, if we return to God, we can avoid this chaos that's going to come. And so you can just imagine him. He gets this message from the Lord. He's like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell them to repent. They're going to repent. We're going to become a better nation. We're going to survive. And woo, right? He's got all that energy going in him. The problem is, as many of us experience, when you're that excited about something, generally you find a point where you just run into a brick wall, right? Reality hits. And all of that energy and all that excitement just, boom, hits reality. You probably had this experience where you had something you thought you were going to bring change to, some organization you were going to work with, some issue you were going to help tackle, some attitude you wanted to help fix. Maybe it's a smaller project, something you wanted to do as a family or something you wanted to do with your friends. And you get excited about it and you start going and then all of a sudden it just feels like there's nothing but problems. And this is exactly what Jeremiah experiences. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 11. Because the Lord revealed their plot, there was people trying to plot to kill him. Because the Lord revealed their plot to me, I knew it. For at that time, he showed me what they were doing. I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be remembered no more. But you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the people of Anathoth, who are threatening to kill you, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hands. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish them, their young men will die by the sword, their sons and daughters by famine, not even a remnant will be left of them. Because I will bring disaster on the people of Anathoth in the year of their punishment. So these are, these are Jeremiah's people, okay? He grew up in the town of Anathoth. And apparently, after a while, they got sick of hearing his preaching, and they decided to kill him. Uh, imagine having your high school friends or the people that you grew up with putting out, like, a hit on you, okay? This is basically the way this worked is these people that he loved and that he knew, his neighbors, you know, people that had seen him grow up, said, we are so tired of what you're preaching. We want you to die. And this is, it shakes up Jeremiah. We can see in his writings, or there comes a point now where he doesn't even know what to do. God, you called me this like iron fortress, and maybe I'm not dead yet, but this is not how I expected this to go. I expected to get up on the street corner, tell these people how to get right, and they would go, Jeremiah, you're so right. I am so wrong. I would like to change my life. And yet, shockingly, people don't tend to respond that way when you try to convince them of doing something different, right? Instead of being introspective, instead of admitting their own faults, instead of taking your point of view, sometimes they fight back. And Jeremiah is frustrated by it. It, it, it makes it so hard for him to move on. And so we see then later on that in that dejection that he experiences, he has this, uh, this feeling. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, 
I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Uh, this, this image of fire in the bones is really interesting. I like it because you feel it sometimes, right? Maybe you get into a conversation about an issue that really matters to you. And in your brain, you're saying, you know what? It's not worth it. Don't talk about it. Don't fight back. Don't get involved in this conversation. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And then somebody says something and you feel the fire in your bones, right? You're like, I am not going to let that one go. And you just want to like launch into this. You want to go and fight for what you think is right and for what is good. And this is Jeremiah's experience. He says, I'm fed up. I want nothing more to do with this, God. You, d- you tricked me. When you asked me to be your servant, you tricked me and made me think that anything would ever get better, and it's never getting any better, and I'm just going to shut up. And it's almost as if God goes, you can't shut up if you wanted to. Right? And Jeremiah is immediately overcome by that feeling and that experience that um, he wants to keep on fighting. He wants to keep going. And so he kind of just begrudgingly fights on. He keeps on moving. Um, even though he doesn't really want to. Now, this is the point in the story where we would like it to get better, right? The way that a Hollywood movie would go, he's called, he gets really exciting, he hits the brick wall, he gets frustrated, and then he gets back on the horse and he succeeds, right? That is a wonderful three-act movie. The calling and the excitement, the trouble in the middle, and then the success at the end. That's the way that we write a screenplay. That is not the way the life of Jeremiah goes. It is nothing but downhill from here on out. He is called the weeping or mourning prophet. Even in art, this is the way he's depicted, with his head and his hands just sobbing. Because his life never gets any better. Um, Over the rest of the next few years, he'll be put into stocks. He will have his life threatened by the king. He'll be imprisoned. He'll get chucked in a cistern. All of these things, all of these punishments for just speaking the word that he's trying to speak. He'll be in constant one-on-one battles. We hear these debates in the book of Jeremiah where he is trying to say, guys, things are bad. We need to fix stuff. And there's always a counter-prophet, a false prophet that's going, well, I don't know. Things look pretty good to me. And he deals with that thing we've talked about here where when you talk prophetically, when you try to speak about what God wants to change in the world— Often you're faced with people on the other side that go, you know, things are just fine. You're just too negative. And this is Jeremiah's experience. Uh, There's even a point where he writes up his life's work. He works with a scribe named Baruch. And uh, you have to remember, there's no printing presses. There's no word processing, right? So writing down your life's work is a lot of work, right? A lot of effort. And so he finally gets this scroll that has all of his life's teachings The king finds out about it, and he burns the thing because he doesn't want Jeremiah's life work to be kept. And so Jeremiah, the next day, walks into the office, and he goes, well, Baruch, let's do it again. 
and they rewrite the entire book of Jeremiah. Again, if you look in your Bibles, it's a thick book, okay? This is not fun. But that's the life of Jeremiah. Is you do it once, and it gets ruined, and you got to do it again. Um, eventually, Babylon will win. His life dream to turn the hearts of Judah so that they do not go into exile is a complete abject failure. The Babylonians come, they destroy Jerusalem, they destroy the temple, and they take all the wealthy and powerful and educated and capable people, and they drag them halfway across the known world at that point into Babylon. And Jeremiah doesn't even really get to see it because he is kidnapped and taken to Egypt by a bunch of rebels in the middle of all of it. And that's where Jeremiah dies, in a foreign land far from his beloved Judah, with the land destroyed, his preaching ignored, and no success. This is a terrible story, okay? This is not something that we like. There's no hope in this. Why would you do this? Why would uh, God even tell us the story? And you're probably asking, why are you telling the story? Because we're in the middle of a series on James, and I thought we were talking about how James is practical, and you're telling us all this crazy history from the 6th century B.C. What's the point? Uh, our passage in James today is about patience. It is about what you do when things don't go your way. And in that, he calls us to remember the prophets. And many of us don't know the prophets. So he goes, remember the prophets. And we go, oh, okay, whatever. And so I wanted you to have a prophet fresh in your mind as you hear James' word. James chapter 5. Oh, okay, yep. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the, the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Um, the people in James's life are dealing with this feeling of being stuck, right? They're feeling like there's just things are not happening like they should. The church is not working the way it should. Their lives aren't working the way it should. They're having all sorts of issues, right? The issues that we have that make us feel stuck in life. And James says, as you go through that stuff, you need to learn to be patient. Sometimes good work takes a lot of time. And you're going to have down, you're going to have down experiences. You're going to have steps back. But don't let that stop you. He immediately goes to this planting metaphor. Um, if you've ever planted a garden, you know how frustrating it is, how little you control, Right? The experienced farmers will be like, well, if you do proper uh, fertilization and make sure you get enough sun and water the plants properly. Yeah, but that's not how it works, okay? You can try to do all those things. But we all know that the experience of growing anything is you put that seed in the ground, you try to do the best you can, but ultimately you cannot make that thing grow, right? Even the best of farmers have issues with surprise weather issues or pests or whatever, that cause problems. And it really is an experience of learning how to trust God because you put that seed in the ground and you can't make it grow. Jesus actually says that the kingdom of God is like that. 
There's a, a parable we don't read much that's only in Mark where he says the kingdom of God is like a man who plants a seed and then he sits there and he goes to bed and he just waits for it because only God can make it pop up. And James is saying your life is like that. You can do all the work you want to make your plants grow, but ultimately God is the one that makes them grow. And all you can do is kind of sit there and watch the soil and hope that something pops up. So don't be surprised if you have to be patient. That's the way that doing God's will um, often works. He says also it's really important for you to be resolute in what you're doing, to keep patient and to be resolute, to not kind of turn your back on this. Uh, there's a lot of things that will go on, but you have to just keep working at it. God will eventually come through and help you. Um, there's also an idea here that you shouldn't uh, turn on each other in the midst of that, right? We've maybe all had that experience where you're on a project together and uh, it starts to get hard and you're frustrated and so you start looking inwardly, right? Um, I think of Apollo 13, right? Those guys stuck up in space. And the three of them had to work really hard not to just point fingers at each other, right? When, the, when stuff blew up, it's like, what button did you push? I don't know, what button did you push, right? Like that's the immediate thought of who can I blame for the fact that this isn't going right. And James says that's the last thing you should do. Don't turn on your sisters and brothers when you're having a hard time, when things aren't working the way it is. If the church sits and picks on each other in those moments, they've got no ability to handle the things that um, they need to handle. There's no way for this to work out. He then goes and talks about the prophets. That's why we talked about Jeremiah. He says, if you want an example of this, look to the prophets. Look to those people that lived this faithful life. Um, I think he would tell us today, think about Jeremiah. If you feel like there is futility in the things you're trying to do in life, there is you're not as futile as Jeremiah, okay? You are not failing as greatly as Jeremiah failed. So remember his, his faithfulness to God. He talks about Job, who I think most of us know is the story of a man who suffered many, many things um, and still found God's blessing. And in all of this, he's saying, keep going, keep working, keep trying, because these things are slow and you can't control it. And God is the only one that can bring those changes. Uh, there's kind of an interesting verse, the next um, verse uh, 12. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering. Oh, that is the wrong verse. All right, so um, I'm going to paraphrase it because I clearly did not copy and paste the right verse. Verse 12 says something about uh, don't swear oaths. Don't um, say, oh, by God's will, I'll do, or don't say, you know, in the name of Jesus, I swear that I'll do this. He says, simply say yes and no. It's a kind of weird thing to be done at the end of this passage. I think it's his way of saying, chill out. Keep cool. Don't get all excited. Uh, God is going to take care of things in the end. And so just don't be overwhelmed by this stuff. I put chill out in Google and I got this dog and I thought that was good to have. Right? And so I, th th it's weird. It's like he says, and above all things, don't swear, just say yes and no. And I'm like, above all things? That's the best thing you've got in this whole book? But I think he's saying, like, that is that thing where you have to swear to people, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. He's like, you just, you're too worked up, okay? Knock it off. You'll be okay. Just keep resolute and strong and be patient. Um, the reality, I think, for a lot of us, 
Um, I don't know. Do you get do we get tired of having the same issues over and over again? I'll make it something more mundane. I was talking to Preston about this recently. I had a conversation about somebody about a silly church practice issue that people get all worked up about. The kind of internal debates that ministers and church people have that non-church people would look at us and be silly. And it's the kind of thing that uh, you guys know Bruce Bates kind of is my mentor in Rhode Island or up in Cumberland. And Bruce was like, yeah, I remember talking about those issues in the 90s. And we said, oh, we'll be over that soon enough. Give it another 10 years and we won't be fighting about that anymore. Fast forward 20 years later, 25 years later. Oh, we're still having those same stupid debates, right? There are so many issues. There are so many ways that we want the world to be better where I think we look at our watches and we go, it's 2017 and we're still on this? We are continuing to deal with this garbage in the 21st century? We get that feeling sometimes, right? Like, how is it that we're still stuck in these same social and economic and political just entanglements? How can human beings see so terrible after so much experience that should make us less terrible? And in the midst of that, I think James would say, you know, you just you have to be patient. If you want to know how terrible people are, read the prophets. Read Amos and Hosea and Jeremiah and all these people that are preaching justice and treating people right and not oppressing and abusing and enslaving people and how they would say, let's do this and let's turn from the Lord and then they die with no success because nobody listened to them. He's like, if you are teaching good things and no one's paying attention, you are just joining the chorus of God's servants through the ages who have always done that. Human beings are just stubborn, nasty creatures sometimes. And so have patience and have trust. A lot of this is about longer-term vision, right? It's the ability to see something beyond the direct moment. And this is really hard, right? The direct moment we are in can feel so overwhelming that we cannot see the way little changes make differences, right? Like we want everything now, and it just frustrates us when we don't get it. And part of what James is saying is, in the long run, God is going to make things better. And I have some belief in this. As much as I get frustrated with my fellow human beings, I, I don't want to live in 700 AD, right? I don't think any of us want to return to ancient Babylon as our society. I think we've gotten to be a bit more civil generally in a lot of ways. And so we can see that things change, but things change slowly. And so James says, you are planting the your seeds, you are working the soil, and you just have to wait for those crops to pop up. And so for us, it kind of takes this vision to realize that some of the things we're doing, some of the ways we're trying to make the world a better place, may not make it a better place until our kids or our grandkids or our great-grandkids come along, right? That part of God's work is to build a better world for generations down the road, not just for us today. And we cannot get to where we just give up because we're not going to see it in our days, right? 
There is th- this is not a Christian attribute to be like, well, it's never gonna make a difference in my lifetime, so who cares, right? That is not a Christian approach. People who live like Jesus say, I am going to fight for God's coming kingdom, even if that kingdom takes another two or three or four thousand years to come here. I'm happy to advance the ball, the 50, 60, 70, 80 that I've got. And so James says, keep doing it. Keep fighting. Keep going. Don't be nasty to each other. Don't start infighting. Just plant the seeds. Look at the soil and just pray to God that you get to see something pop up from it. And that's not a particularly like, that's not triumphant, right? It's not, um, sometimes in church we overdo the triumphant thing, like, just pray to God and it'll all get better. And when James is going, no, pray to God and you might die alone in Egypt. But still, it was worth doing. And so he says here near the end of his book, keep going, keep fighting, keep trying. Because someday someone will be blessed by what you did. And maybe someday, like Jeremiah, someone will look back and honor your life, even if it didn't go the way you thought it would. All right, uh, at all of our sermons, we end with a question and answer period. So go ahead. If you have any questions about the text or application or anything, I would be happy to answer them. Yeah, that first comment you made about, you know, that he kept sending prophets. You can almost imagine, like, this heavenly scene where, like, all the prophets are sitting around. And Jeremiah's like, you would not believe this one time this guy did this. And Amos is like, that's nothing. I knew this guy, you know, and they're just, like, telling, ter- you know, horror stories back and forth around the campfire. That, uh, I, that would be funny. I don't know. It sounds like a preacher comedy skit, maybe. Anyway, <laughs> I think some of, a lot of that lies in that initial almost assumed point about what it means to be called to something. Like, Jeremiah was really clear, like, oh, you know, I had a vision where God reached down and touched my tongue and gave me these things to say. And so, you know, like, there was no ambiguity with him of, like, well, am I just being a pain or is that what God wants? Like, he knows, yes, that's what God wants. And so some of that is, uh, is really an important aspect of spirituality um, in discerning who you are and knowing yourself and knowing what God has done in your life. It just takes some wisdom to go, oh, you know, because of the skill I have and this experience I have and these things other people have spoken into my life, like this is kind of who I am and what I'm good at and what I feel called to and what I think God's been driving me towards. And so there's, um, to give you an example, I am really convicted of how terrible human trafficking and modern day sexual slavery is in our world, right? And I want to see that fixed. And I want to see things said about it and done about it. And I have friends who are preachers whose churches have great ministries that help people in those situations. I have absolutely zero experience or expertise or knowledge about how to even start to do that. Now, I could research those things. I could learn those things. But God has not sent me on a pathway where I've been sat in situations where that's the thing that I felt called to to deal with. And so I just kind of trust that it's, I don't know, that that's not the thing he has for me to do. Now, you know, if, I don't know, if I get called in to pray with somebody who was rescued from a brothel next week, maybe I'll feel differently, right? But I just, for now, I don't think, it's something I think is really important, and it's something that I want to support and be an advocate for, but it's also, it's not a sense, I have friends who are preachers who are like, I am a minister and God's called me to help women who have been in prostitution and sexual slavery and the sex industry. Like that is their sense of being. 
and that's not me. And so you just kind of, I don't know. I think there's ways that we figure out kind of who God has called us to be, but that takes a lot of introspection and a lot of understanding of your story and what God's done in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to some degree, are you a good instrument to do the thing that you want to do? Right? Like that's being careful not to be a hammer who wishes he was a screwdriver, right? Like that may sound a silly way to say it, but like I think that's some of it of like, okay, what what is how's God shaped me to deal with issues and which ones can I deal with the most effectively? 